Hi, welcome to On Investors Minds. I'm Tai Hui, the Chief Market Strategist for Asia Pacific at JP Morgan Asset Management. And thank you for giving us a few minutes of your time to learn about what's on investors' minds and what you can do about it. The US federal government needed the Congress's approval to raise its capacity to borrow in order to fund its obligations and day-to-day spending. This increase of the debt ceiling has sometimes been a political arena for the Republican and Democrat parties to debate over how much the government should borrow and what to spend the money on. In 2011, the debt ceiling debate actually prompted Standard & Poor, the rating agency, to downgrade US sovereign rating from AAA to AA+, while Moody's and Fitch maintained their AAA ratings. Back in January, Treasury Secretary Jeanette Yellen also warned that the federal government has reached its debt ceiling and it is now relying on extraordinary measures to meet its financial obligations. This includes paying for various government operations and paying bondholders. But these measures cannot continue indefinitely, and hence the Congress needs to pass legislations on raising the debt ceiling in order for the government to avoid defaulting on its debt and create a massive disruption on government services and also the global financial markets. So where do we go going forward? I'm delighted to have our Chief Global Strategist, Dr. David Kelly, joining us in this episode and share with us his on-the-ground insights on how this situation is likely to evolve in coming months and what this would mean for investors. As usual, we will have key summary takeaways at the end of this podcast. So David, thanks for joining us today. So let's start with the basics. Why is the US debt ceiling an issue? Well, To understand the debt ceiling issue, I think it's important to have a basic understanding of the federal budget process in Washington, D.C. The normal budget process starts with the president submitting a budget proposal to Congress in early February for the upcoming fiscal year. While this particular proposal is often declared dead on arrival, it starts a process of congressional committee meetings, budget resolutions, appropriations bills, and proposed changes to revenues, which are considered by the Congress in the following months. The fiscal year starts on October 1st, and in the last 25 years, the U.S. Congress has never actually completed action on the budget by the start of the fiscal year, thus making it necessary to pass a series of continuing resolutions until the budget process can be wrapped up. However, importantly, no changes can be made to appropriations or to the federal tax code without a majority vote in both houses of Congress and the president's signature. On top of this process, however, the federal government instituted a debt ceiling way back in 1917 as part of the Second Liberty Bond Act to help fund the U.S. contribution to World War I. Since then, the limit has been suspended or raised over a hundred times, while this has often been accompanied by some political theatre. Most notably, the debt ceiling crisis of 2011 led Standard & Poor's to downgrade federal debt for the first time in U.S. history, and another tense negotiation over the debt ceiling brought the economy to within days of default in 2013. Since then, the debt ceiling has been raised or suspended five times without much controversy. Most recently, in December 2021, the debt ceiling was raised to $31.381 trillion, or roughly $2.2 trillion higher than the public debt subject to limit at that time. Deficits since then have, of course, added to the debt, and in January of this year, Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen announced that the federal government had reached the limit and was initiating extraordinary measures to pay the bills. She estimated then that the combination of the Treasury's cash balances and these extraordinary measures would allow the federal government to pay the bills at least until early June. 
Investors have been particularly concerned about the current debt ceiling negotiations since Republicans achieved a narrow majority in the House of Representatives last November and have vowed to wring budget concessions from the administration in return for a vote to increase or suspend the debt ceiling. Now, U.S. Treasury Secretary Jeanette Yellen did warn back in January that the current round of extraordinary measures would last until June. But this so-called X date is objected to many variables. How close are we to this X date? In all her communications since January, Secretary Yellen has made it clear that considerable uncertainty surrounds the actual date on which the government will no longer be able to pay its bills, commonly referred to as the X date. Part of that uncertainty is due to the difficulty in projecting annual tax payments and refunds which are processed around the mid-April tax filing deadline. We are now getting some clarity on this issue. At the end of April, the federal government had $316 billion in its checking account at the Federal Reserve, and we believe that the Treasury Department is already implementing all currently available extraordinary measures. We currently project deficits in the budget of $188 billion and $144 billion for May and June respectively, or a total over the two months of $332 billion, which would leave the Treasury short by $16 billion. If Secretary Yellen could somehow find enough money elsewhere to get to June 30th, there is a final one-time set of extraordinary measures available on that date, totaling $146 billion that could just about fund the government through July, stretching the X date out until early August. However, more likely we're talking about June, and possibly early June, since the government typically makes substantial payments at the start of the month. Indeed, in a letter to the House Speaker on May 1st, Secretary Yellen suggested that a default could now occur as early as June 1st. However, she acknowledged that because of the variability of daily cash flows, it is still too early to define the precise X date. So between now and the X date, how would the political horse trading develop and what is the risk of a deal not being reached in time? Well, our own calculations suggest that we will likely reach the X date within the next six weeks, which naturally begs the question of where are we on negotiations? On the House Republican side, last Wednesday, Speaker Kevin McCarthy succeeded in rounding up 217 Republican votes to pass a bill that would raise the debt ceiling by $1.5 trillion or until next March, whichever came first. However, the bill also contained $4.8 trillion in proposed deficit reduction measures over the next 10 years. These provisions include a $131 billion to current discretionary spending and then limiting the growth of discretionary spending to just 1% per year over the next decade as well as cancelling the president's student loan forgiveness plan and repealing most of the clean energy tax credits from last year's Inflation Reduction Act. This bill will clearly not pass the Senate or be signed by the president. The administration, for its part, claims that it will not negotiate on raising the debt ceiling and is urging Congress to pass a clean debt ceiling bill. Now, I do understand that the overall consensus is that the debt limit will ultimately be raised, but the journey to get there could be quite stressful for the markets. How would the debt ceiling standoff end? In order to see what could be a possible solution to this standoff, it's important to rule out what's unlikely to happen. First, there is no way at this stage to balance the budget to avoid debt from rising. Congressional Budget Office estimates for the current fiscal year suggest spending of $6.2 trillion and revenue of $4.8 trillion, resulting in a budget deficit of $1.4 trillion. The majority of that spending consists of Social Security, Medicare and Medicaid, and interest payments. These areas are generally regarded as off-limits when it comes to budget cuts. Discretionary spending, divided roughly evenly between defence and non-defence programmes, amounts to $1.8 trillion, and there's no way that these programmes could or should be cut so savagely in the short run as to achieve immediate budget balance. 
Second, last-minute prioritization is not practical. Now, some have argued that the federal government could avoid immediate default by prioritizing debt payments over all other bills that the federal government has to pay. This would, of course, only be a stopgap measure since it would avoid default uh, in the long run only if the budget were actually balanced. Moreover, the Treasury's computers are essentially programmed to pay all bills as they come due. There are millions of these bills every year. And the computer coding to achieve actual prioritization would be formidable even with months of planning and impossible without it. No such plan has been implemented. Third, the so-called 14th Amendment option is fraught with peril. Section 4 of the 14th Amendment to the U.S. Constitution declares that the validity of the public debt of the United States authorized by law shall not be questioned. According to some legal scholars, this gives the president the right to ignore the debt ceiling altogether. However, the issue has been hotly debated over the years and has never been ruled on by the Supreme Court. A standoff in which the administration allowed the debt to exceed the debt limit and then crossed its fingers that the Supreme Court would rule in its favor would be dangerous in the extreme since an adverse court ruling would result in instant default. Fourth, some have argued that the Treasury Department could mint a trillion-dollar coin and deposit it at the Federal Reserve to continue paying its bills. However, this approach would also set up a legal fight with a very uncertain outcome. Once all of this is understood, it's clear that the only eventual end to the crisis can be a bipartisan bill passing Congress to raise, suspend, or eliminate the debt ceiling. It will have to be bipartisan, as it will need a majority in the Republican-controlled House of Representatives and 60 votes in the Democratic-controlled Senate. It will have to have Speaker McCarthy's acquiescence, since the bill cannot reach the House floor without his agreement. And it will have to have the President's approval, since the bill will need his signature. All of this eventually will require significant compromise. In the best of all worlds, Congress would have the courage to both eliminate the debt ceiling altogether and set about the reform of spending and taxes required to bring the budget back to balance in the long run. However, in the world of Washington today, there are really only two possible paths to avoid default. The simplest would be Speaker McCarthy agreeing to allow the bill onto the House floor to suspend the debt ceiling until the fall, allowing time to negotiate a budget compromise. Alternatively, the administration could offer Speaker McCarthy enough budgetary concessions right now to get a compromise bill onto the House floor, while still being sufficiently balanced to win the Democratic votes necessary to pass the Senate. And David, what does all this mean for investors? Either way, the debt ceiling will have to be raised or suspended on a bipartisan vote. And so the only real question is, how soon do we get to this point? If the administration and congressional leadership make it clear that this is where we're headed and immediately start negotiating in earnest, then it is possible to imagine an increase in the debt ceiling passing before the end of May. If this were to happen, markets would largely ignore the fiscal debate and resume their focus on the risk of recession, the pace of inflation and the hawkishness of the Federal Reserve. If, however, political posturing prevails for some more weeks, then we could easily reach the end of May with growing nervousness about whether the bill would pass Congress in time to avoid default. Equity market volatility would rise. In theory, a threat to the creditworthiness of federal debt should boost Treasury interest rates and depress the dollar. However, the traditional safe haven role of both Treasuries and the dollar makes this effect less certain. If, in an act of unprecedented recklessness, Congress fails to increase or suspend the debt ceiling in time, the Treasury will likely miss an interest or principal payment on the debt. This event would likely precipitate a major stock market meltdown, a spike in Treasury interest rates, and a collapse in the dollar a further downgrade to U.S. debt would probably occur. After a few days of chaos, Congress would likely suspend the debt ceiling for a period and get back to negotiating the budget. However, some default risk premium would likely be permanently added to U.S. Treasuries, and the uncertainty caused by the crisis would increase the likelihood of a near-term recession. 
For investors, it may be tempting to move to the sidelines while debt ceiling uncertainty remains. However, it should be recognized that this situation will eventually be resolved. Partisanship in Washington could push the federal government to the brink of default or, in a worst-case scenario, actual default. However, members of Congress won't have the stomach to perpetuate a fiscal crisis and recession if, by the simple act of suspending the debt ceiling, they can provide relief to their constituents. The passage of such a bill should cause a rebound in the stock market, although some damage to the dollar and the treasury bond market may be permanent. Across all of these outcomes, one potentially common thread is a decline in the US dollar. Investors may want to make sure they have good exposure to the bonds and stocks of other developed countries outside the United States, denominated in non-US currency. However, it's best not to think of the debt ceiling crisis as a potential rerun of the great financial crisis. Restoring confidence in the US banking system in the wake of the subprime crisis was an immensely complicated and uncertain task. By contrast, recovery from a debt default crisis would likely start the day Congress belatedly suspended the debt ceiling. Getting close to default or actually defaulting would undoubtedly reduce confidence in US political leaders. However, given the willingness of politicians to get so close to default, it's hard to imagine that much of this kind of confidence is priced into global markets today. So David, thank you very much for your time and your insights. So three key takeaways. Number one, we have around one month or until early June for the White House and the Congress to come to a compromise in raising the debt ceiling before the Treasury runs into serious risk of not meeting its payment obligations and potentially go into a default. Number two, many of the more creative options to address the debt ceiling challenge is just not practical. Ultimately, we still need the Congress to address this issue in a more traditional sense, and we do think this will be achieved in time. And number three, instead of waiting on the sideline for this problem to be resolved, investors should look for ways to diversify the portfolio allocation internationally, even though the global financial markets are closely connected to the US. The process of reaching a compromise to raise the debt ceiling or the failure to do so could have long-term implications on the risk premium on US Treasuries and the US dollar. Thanks for listening. If you've got any questions or comments, please reach out to your JP Morgan Asset Management Client Advisor. And if you enjoy this podcast, please share this with your friends and colleagues by rating and reviewing this podcast on your favorite platform. And don't forget to subscribe via Apple, Google or Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts so that you can be kept up to date every time when a new episode comes along. This content is intended for information only, based on assumptions in current market conditions and are subject to change. No warranty of accuracy is given. This content does not contain sufficient information to support investment decisions. It is not to be construed as research, legal, regulatory, tax, accounting, or investment advice. Investments involve risks. Investors should seek professional advice or make an independent evaluation before investing. The value of investments and the income from them may fluctuate, including loss of capital. Past performance and yield are not indicative of current or future results. Forecasts and estimates may or may not come to pass. JP Morgan Asset Management is the asset management business of JP Morgan Chase and Company and its affiliates worldwide.